182 fractured skulls it's february 1st black history month we got the black squares up metaphorically speaking terminator travels alongside monoxide how are you doing this fine evening sir you're taking time away from my precious tekken 8 to review some movies so to you people you better enjoy this because i could be playing tekken 8 right now are there any black fighters in tekken 8 there are uh, the one in Tekken 8, you got Raven, who debuted in Tekken 5. Kind of like, um, I guess you could call him a ninja detective type character. He literally looks like, um, he, he, I guess he's parodied off a of Blade, uh, Wesley Snipes' Blade. Uh, who the hell else? Uh, there was Bruce Irvin. They both are African Americans, they're not from Africa. Uh, as far as females, there was a female Raven in the last game, but her name is escaping me at the moment. And, um, I'm trying to think what else, because a lot of the characters in the game are mostly Japanese. Uh, let's see, Kazooie is Japanese, Jin's Japanese, Huorong is Korean, uh, Lei Wulong is Jackie Chan, as we've established, Paul Phoenix is white, White American, too. Straight. <sighs> All the embodiments of evil. There's a Brazilian named uh, Eddie Gordo. They, they just still debuted a uh, Peruvian. Uh, fucking Oxino, whatever. I'm still getting used to the new characters. There's a Russian named Dragonoff, who looks like uh, Cillia Murphy if he got scarred up. <sighs> what the fuck else is in there? There's plenty of characters, but yeah, the two that come to mind that you asked are that are black are Raven and Bruce Irvin, although Bruce Irvin is not in this. Oh, how do I forget? Leroy Smith, the new, uh, yeah, he was in the uh, Tekken anime series. He, yes. debuted, he debuted his DLC for Tekken 7, and out of all the new characters from Tekken 7 DLC that debuted there, he's the only one to have returned in Tekken 8. So, and his style is pretty good. I really like his style. It's kind of like uh, Steven Seagal style, where mostly Steven Seagal's fighting style is like defensive form. But yeah, there's a couple of good ones. Yeah, Leroy is becoming easily one of my top characters. Sounds like a diverse video game. Lots of diversity, too. In fact, there's one character named Leo or Leo. Uh, let's just say their gender is ambiguous. Okay. You don't know if it's a boy or girl, you just know they're from Germany. I see. And this character debuted Tekken 6, I want to say? Tekken 6 was the one I played the least of out of every Tekken game, other than Tekken 1. But yeah. There's, there's a lot of good characters, a lot of, uh... Different countries being represented. Oh, Shaheen, he's Arabic. He's from uh, Saudi Arabia. So what else there? There's, there's quite a bit of characters. I, I, it's it's my personal choice of fighting game over... I know I like Mortal Kombat, but the new Mortal Kombat game is getting a lot of flat, and rightfully so. Didn't play Street Fighter, though, but I heard it's very good. Well, with all that said... We got some new stories. Not a lot, but we'll see what we got here. Let's see what's on today's menu. Let's check, check it, it out. out. 
we have a lot of new content coming out later this year for Netflix. Anything you're looking forward to? We got a new season of uh, Unsolved Mysteries. We got some Cobra Kai, the final season dropping later this year. Uh, we got a lot of anime movies coming out. We got some uh, Lindsay Lohan doing her little Lifetime Netflix movie. So the first two shows that you mentioned, which were uh, Unsolved Mysteries and Cobra Kai, I'm obviously looking forward to the last season of Cobra Kai. It is a show that I really got invested in once they moved the show to Netflix. Because if you guys remember, when it first came out, it was a YouTube Red exclusive show. What was it? Season three came out on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wanted to watch this show, but I wasn't going to subscribe to YouTube Red because there's nothing on YouTube Red for me to watch. I was always intrigued because it's Karate Kid and it's years after the fact and it follows uh, Johnny Lawrence's character. And, you know, I forget the actor's name that plays Lawrence, but the guy is severely underrated as far as an actor. Because he is such a likable character now as opposed to the the 80s Johnny Lawrence who's supposed to be the quote-unquote bully. Although, if you go on the internet, many people will try and make the point that uh, Daniel LaRusso is the bully. Ah, uh, like, all right, guys, we're reaching here. Yeah. Uh, it was clear as day that Lawrence is the bully because he didn't have a good home life growing up. Bullies, what do they do? They take their anger out on other people that they know can't defend themselves. And Daniel Russo couldn't defend himself until he learned karate. So, yeah, I've very much enjoyed this series. It is the final season. It is sad, but by the same token, I appreciate the fact of not dragging the show out to the point where it's beating a dead horse. So if they've got a proper ending, cool, cool beans. Because that's something that I'm coming to grips with with writing my Harry Potter fiction. I know that at some point there has to be an ending. It's like, goddamn, I don't want this to end. Um, and as far as Unsolved Mysteries, yes, I'm looking forward to that as well. I'm a fan of the new format unlike other people. Well, what about Squid Game Season 2? Before I answer that, let me crack open the Dr. Pepper there it and is. say say that uh, Squid Game is an interesting one because Squid Game was only supposed to be that one season and that was going to be it. Guy wrote it back in 2008. Nobody wanted to take it and I guess Netflix for whatever reason took it. And my first introduction to Squid Games <laughs> you're not even going to believe me when I tell you this. It involves our mutual friend uh, you may know him as Maxwell Maximilian yeah. One day he messaged me, uh, I think either, I think it was on Facebook. I think we were talking to each other and he had um, his avatar, his profile picture, the main character of Squid Game doing his weird smile. I'm like, what the hell is this? And then all of a sudden I started hearing about this hype about Squid Game and saw that picture. I'm like, hmm, interesting. So I watched it and I said to myself, if this became a series... Because of how well that first season was written, this could easily be up there as one of my favorite TV series of all time. Because Cobra Kai is there. Uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul are the, the two uh, heavyweights, in my opinion. Stranger Things is very, very good. Um, I'm just wondering how they're going to finish it off. But um, I know a lot of people are fans of Games of Thrones. Game of Thrones, but... Apparently that last season really ripped out everybody's hearts and destroyed them. 
I'm, I'm stoked for Squid Game Season 2. I'm actually, again, going back to Unsolved Mysteries, I'm very excited for that one because I'm more of a fan of a 45, 50-minute, hour-long special on a mystery that's just so damn perplexing. It's it, those really intriguing, especially if the mystery is that engaging. And I think this series did it well. Most people miss the Robert Stack, but hate to break the news to you, but Robert Stack has been dead for 20 years, so you ain't getting Robert Stack. Maybe they could use a CGI Robert Stack and AI to do his voice. Would it be the same, though? Hell no, that'd be creepy as fuck. Well, Robert Stack in general was creepy as fuck when doing that show. The only it's a perfect host. Mm, yeah, yeah. 100%. Robert Stack was the host. Although, all that creepiness completely died for me once I saw him in basketball. <laughs> he, played, he played himself, and he was such a fucking comedic. Like, he took the piss out of himself and didn't care. But it was great. Um, and he and believe it or not, he also had a voice in uh, Beavis and Butthead Do America. Yes, he did. Yeah, I do miss Robert Stack. He was the voice for Unsolved Mysteries, but I do like this aura. It's because again, to uh, to people who may have not watched the series, there's three seasons out. Each episode just focuses on one mystery, and there's no real host. It's just the people who are involved in the case talking about what they know, and they'll also show you like graphs, like maps, and. And a little line that shows you what direction somebody was going or where the body was found, this, that, and the other. And to me, it's intuitive. I, I like it. It's engaged me. The, to be honest, I actually prefer the crimes over the unexplained or the, the paranormal and stuff. Those are a little bit hard to watch. But the, the unsolved crimes, like missing people or unsolved murders or whatever, those engage me. Because... Paranormal, you always got to wonder the credibility of said source, whereas an unsolved crime, especially a, a missing person in the uh, 20th century, that's always intrigued me how somebody can just fall off the face of the earth and you never see them again. Always intrigued by that. Yeah, that is quite fascinating how they, whether they're still alive or hiding or it's like, or they just pull a Jimmy Hoffa. Or um, a Richie Edwards. Richie Edwards was actually probably, I could be wrong, the most famous celebrity to go missing. Um, many people may know him as the lyricist to the band Manic Street Preachers. He went missing in 1995. They found his car by a bridge and he just, to this day, nobody knows what the fuck happened to him. He just flat out disappeared. So... Some people say he killed himself. Some people said he ran away. But here we are nearly 30 years later. Nobody knows what happened to uh, Richie Edwards. Mm. Yeah. I wonder if they'll do one on him. But I don't know. I, I have to look at the trailer for the new season. Uh, when does it come out? Don't know. Let me look. Let me see. Let me see. Mm -hmm. see let me see. Let me see. Do you like what you see? Do you like what you see? While I'm looking that up, uh, there will be no new season of Stranger Things or Wednesday this year. All that would be next year, 2025. Wow, they really stretched out Stranger Things. It's like, what is this, the fifth season, right? 
Yeah, their final season. Yes. Yeah, but it's it's number five, is what I'm mm-hmm. saying. Their first season was in 2016. Wow. 16, so yeah, I it was in mid-2010s. Yeah, that's that's what's crazy to me. Because it, it, it was my mom who, who hooked me onto the show. She unfortunately died before, literally a month before season three aired. But yeah, she really enjoyed the show. Because that was basically her go-to show after Game of Thrones. Because she was a, she was alive for the whole series of Game of Thrones. So I'm intrigued to see where they go with Stranger Things. Because it's one more season. I, I wonder why they're dragging this out so much. Well, I, I, yeah, I know. I mean, you know, it's okay. I'd rather have shows like this where they take their time with each season. Instead of just popping them out. For the sake of popping them out, I know. Uh, of course, you had the unspecified virus of unknown origin. Right. Put a halt to everything, and I know some of the kids. They uh, the, that show boost up their credibility. Started doing uh, doing other stuff. I don't know if their schedule. If they had any schedule conflicts, uh, it doesn't say when it's coming out, but it's no specific date. But it's coming out 2024 for uh, unsolved mysteries. I see. Yeah, I'll be. Um... I'll be on the lookout for that. And Cobra Kai, I'm assuming it's going to be summer or fall, maybe. Yeah. Because a lot of a lot, everything I'm telling you now, they're going to have a lot of teaser trailers once the Super Bowl, the, once Super Bowl comes. Oh yeah, because Super Bowl, I forget how much they pay for a commercial in the Super Bowl. Because yeah, they pay a ridiculous amount of money. And you know, I'll be watching the Super Bowl for sure. Um, Matter of fact, I, I figured I'd throw this out there. It's sort of related, but just related to what we're talking about right now. What is your favorite Super Bowl commercial? Ever. Anything that involves Breaking Bad. Really? I have mine. Um, I, I have an infamous favorites. Um, the, the Gillette commercial. That was Super Bowl commercial? That was, yes. Interesting. Didn't I know that? Um... But yeah, I have my favorite commercial, and I don't think it'll ever be topped, ever. I I don't see anybody topping it. So, pardon. It is, I think it was 2004-ish. 2004, 2005, maybe around that era. It was a Pepsi commercial. And it's literally, you may have seen it, but for the audience that didn't, it's a Pepsi commercial, and it involves Jimi Hendrix as a 10 11 year old and he's walking down the street and he turns to his left and he turns to his right on one side he sees a pepsi commercial uh, pepsi machine and the other side he sees a coke machine but he only has enough money for one soda so he can't decide so eventually he just goes to the pepsi machine gets the pepsi and then realizes the pepsi machine's right in front of a guitar store so he goes in grabs the guitar and then all of a sudden you start hearing purple haze in the background as he's holding the guitar, he looks across the street where the Coke machine is, and the Coke machine's in front of a xylophone store, and you start hearing Purple Haze on the xylophone, and it says, whew, that was a close one. Nothing will ever top that commercial. That is, like, <laughs> genius. That is the greatest commercial I have ever seen, especially since I listen to Jimi Hendrix a lot. So, yeah, that's that's never going to be topped. That is, that is a fun question now that you brought that up. I mean, I, I mentioned the Breaking Bad stuff. I mean, any time they do Breaking Bad, it, I mean, Cranston has no problem doing a parody of it. Uh, of course, the actor that plays Jesse as well. 
I'm blanking on oh, Aaron Paul. Aaron Paul, Aaron. yeah. I liked the uh, I think it was last year they did the, the chips. And then they even brought in what's his name? Tuco. Because they Tuco. made like six different flavors. They made it look like they're doing a drug deal. Yeah. Well, the guy who plays Tuco, he's fucking great at that role. Yeah. It's just a shame that Tuco's not in it as much as he is. Because he's, <laughs> if he was, he'd be my favorite character, at least up there. There's, I don't know. The commercials just aren't as great as they used to be, in my opinion. They have some good ones. I know uh, Arnold's doing one this year. He's doing um, uh, State Farm. The Jake the State Farm guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know uh, our favorite uh, Anheuser-Busch is spending a shit ton of money this year on commercials. <sighs> They're still... Oh, you know, now that I bring this up, I get, I want to get your take on this. They hired a new spokesperson for Bud Light, um, and he's this very far-right comedian. Yeah, I know he was on Joe Rogan. Shane Gills. Shane Gillis, whatever. I'm not sure I'm familiar with I think he was supposed to be a cast member of Saturday Night Live, but they got rid of him because he, because he made some like racist jokes that they uh, didn't find... I guess they found offensive, and mm-hmm. just... I think yeah, I'm familiar with that story. Now, now that you say that, I think I'm familiar with that. Um, so they're hiring this far. You said he's a far right comedian. Wait, he, I know, I know, he's on the right. He's he's very American. He's a very he he's a true American, as they say, because he just he announced I think the other day that he's in a, officially a partnership with Bud Light. And he said for years, like, he loves Bud Light. He loves the beer. He doesn't, I guess he didn't agree with uh, what they did last year with the whole uh, Dylan Mulvaney. But, you know, in a way, this is a huge 180 from what they were trying to do last year. Yeah. I, I don't know how I feel about it. Depends on where they go. But it's like, all right. The thing is, is that you're going far right. What, what exactly are you trying to do? Are you trying to regain the customers that you once lost? Well, clearly they've been trying to they've been trying to get that audience back since the whole massacre that that the boycott started. We saw the commercial, the horses. Yeah. But here's the thing, though. I thought that they didn't want those people anymore. It's so out of touch. Well, they got rid of the. Well, they got rid of that team. I mean, I mean, you know, we can start pointing fingers. Who's to blame? I mean, for the most part, I blame the VP, the girl, her and her team, because they were really the ultimate ones responsible for all this. Right. The other one that she said, "Fratty, out of touch." It's funny because even though Dylan Mulvaney's the face of that whole entire ordeal, he, he, she, it, shit, whatever, they are the least to blame for this, because. In actuality, yeah, Dylan Mulvaney is nothing but an attention seeker trying to get all that attention put on to himself, herself, whatever. And not realizing that this is all Dylan Mulvaney wants is attention. This is exactly what Dylan Mulvaney thrives off of. So obviously when somebody gives it to him by promoting a beer can of Dylan Mulvaney's face, of course they're going to take it. Uh, it's funny because we haven't heard of Dylan Mulvaney in quite some time now. Yeah, I, I just think, you know, his 15 minutes of fame is up. Well, yeah, there's only so much that you can do with his his or her shtick. Keep in mind, I keep saying his or her because it's like, if I say his, then the whole fucking universe falls apart, apparently. Yeah, um, 
obviously Bud Light has not recovered from their sales. They're not number one. They've lost that spot. Um, well, I mean, you know, because now it brings to the question, you know, what what is the outcome to all this? Do people want Bud Light to go out of business? Do I want it to go out of business? No. Well, I mean, I don't... It's, more, it's more of a rhetorical question, but. Yeah. Because Kid Rock has made it public that he's no longer boycotting. Because he says, you know, you know, we we said what we we did what we had to do, but I think the only problem is with Kid Rock, the Bud Light is beyond what he thinks. People are still boycotting. I mean, right. because now, because obviously, when you think of Bud Light, you think of trans people, and for the most part, you know, transgenderism is a very touchy topic in America. Here's the thing: Kid Rock said, "Yeah, we did what we needed to do, but the battle still wasn't won yet." Exactly. But Bud Light never came out and apologized. They're hoping this whole thing would just blow up, blow, go away. Yeah. That or they go out of business, as one would say. Like, the battle is you don't buy anything Bud Light related. You go to an alternative. Plenty of beers out there that you can go to that's not Bud Light related. You can go to Heineken. Uh, you can go to Coors. You can go to uh, Modelo's. There's other beers that you can have. Blue Moon. You can have other types of liquor or beers. So it's like you got all these other choices. Drink them now. But you can't just be like, okay, we're going to boycott. And then if nothing changes on the Bud Light side, you just say, okay, the business went down. We did what we needed to do. At that point, you got to keep going because either they apologize because the end result is you want them to apologize and show that or have them show that they're going to change. Or you let them suffer the consequences of never recovering after that, because that's that's on them if they never recover, because they decided it was more important to spread the message. And that message is what got them shit canned in the first place. And it's what hurt, is hurting Disney right now. And it, it's what hurt Target. That's why we, we I said this last year, it's going to be after June, after Pride Month ended, it's going to be very interesting seeing how they're going to approach Pride Month this year, knowing the backlash they got last year from the people. Because the people are sick of all this. They've had enough. They finally spoke out. Yeah, I mean, 2023 was the year they finally put their foot down, said enough of this shit. We're tired of this. We're tired yeah. of this fucking propaganda. We see this shit everywhere. You can't get away from it. Right. And it's shoved in your face. And the fact that... Here's the other thing. They'll, they'll use the argument, well, straight is always shoved in your face. Since when? Do straight people... Do straight people have a flag dedicated to them that's literally constantly in your face 24-7? Is there a, a, a whole entire... Thing where if you make fun of straight people then they try to cancel you at all cost is there a parade that involves straight people no there's no there's no straight uh, pride month there's none of that there is a gay pride month and people are okay with gay pride month there's actually a group called gays against groomers who would probably tell you they're okay with gay pride as long as it's people who are gay who are dressed regularly who just walk the streets have their signs saying love is love. I think people would be okay with that. The problem is you take it one step further. You started promoting nudity. You start promoting uh, BDSM in front of children. So yeah, obviously people are going to push back. 
I saw we saw it this year. Remember when all the uh, companies started having the rainbow flags on their icons, and then all of a sudden, just out of the blue, not too long after that, they went right back to their normal icons. Clearly, this whole the whole thing, the whole trans thing, it's all it just feels like one big. It's uh, it's it's a trending thing that everyone's doing. It's like the hot topic, the hot button. Oh yeah, we could we could be non-binary. Let's do that. And this mostly comes from people who are confused with themselves. Right. And you got society. You got everyone telling you, you know, this is the this is the way. And you mentioned sexualized. It's funny that you bring that up because um, uh, on Twitter earlier, someone mentioned you know forcing sexuality on kids is wrong. You pedophile. They responded to someone, and someone else uh, retweeted that. It says, then I assume you also have a problem with this. And it's pictures of Mickey Mouse and Minnie kissing, uh, Aladdin and uh, Jasmine kissing, just just showing dis- different Disney characters kissing each other. Okay, first of all, one, that's not that's romance. There's a difference between romance and being sexualized. Jasmine and Aladdin are not taking their clothes off, getting naked, and start making out in public. That's taking it too far. Right. There's nothing wrong with kissing your girlfriend or your wife in public. That's completely normal. Yeah, but now imagine if that girl was wearing whips and chains and had a whip and the guy was wearing a gimp mask. Even if it's straight, that's still too much. Remember how much shit that fucking Lady Gaga got for wearing undergarments at a Yankee game many years back? Or how about when Lizzo was wearing a fucking assless dress at a basketball game? It was straight shit. But it didn't matter because they were at an event where there's children involved. That's where it, you you all think that the, the, the sexualization is only for homosexuality. It is not. If, even if you're a woman, if you're a woman and you're starting to strip down to your freaking bra and thong in front of a child, that is a little much. That's where it gets over, steps over the boundaries. Why it seems like do, why would people want to do that in front of children? I don't. I will never understand that. <sighs> There's only one reason, and it's n- <laughs> reason that you don't want to go down. So, point being is that we're, we're going off on a tangent, but that's where what hurt Gay Pride Month in yeah, that's, that's what ruined the gay community was that the trans got involved, right? And realistically, the trans community would be okay if they would just be more realistic to their situation. If they would just be like, hey, I am a male, born male, but I feel like I'm a female and I can conform to being a female. And I understand that I will not have all the female parts, but if I become a female, I will feel better and just treat me like you would treat any other Joe Schmo in the street and not hurt me. Perfectly acceptable. I don't agree, but hey, I'm not going to treat you any differently. I'll treat you with the same respect. It's when you want to remove reality out of the situation and force it upon me. That's where the problem lies. Yeah, that's yeah, that's 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 the big issue. Yeah, the Bud Light thing that hurt because. They never walked back on their their statement. They they wanted to continue being stubborn little mules, thinking that everything would just blow over. And hiring Shane Gillis, I don't know what that's going to do, because there's certain customers that 
are not the type of people that'll just be like, yeah, you know what? All right, we forgive you. Yeah, because nope. at this point, it's been over, over. It's been almost a year. A lot of people have already moved on, made up their minds, and have very little to no interest in ever going back. So who's yeah? Who's gonna want to go back to a beer that never apologized for what they did? Yeah, I mean, could you imagine if a product that was like super liberal, super left leaning? Like, let's say, I, I don't know, something that was catered to the gay community start saying that, uh, start promoting, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of a homophobe or like start promoting the Westboro Baptist Church or some shit. Yeah. Yeah, that, that wouldn't look too good, would it? Not at all, friend. So in our last episode, we covered the whole Vince McMahon, uh, scandal of sorts? Well, not scandal, maybe that's not the wrong wording, but. Vince McMahon is gone from the WWE, from TKO, over uh, allegations because he didn't pay off this girl. And Vince is, is notorious for not paying off people, so this is nothing new. I guess he thought he could get away with this as well. But um, TKO has since then mentioned that they wanted to get rid of, really, they really want to distance themselves from everyone that's ever been associated with McMahon behind the scenes. And a lot of people were speculating that includes... Uh, Triple H, who's the son-in-law. I mean, you can't can't get any closer than family, right? And uh, I don't know if we mentioned Ronda Rousey's tweet on our last episode. I mean, maybe that tweet wasn't made yet by the time we first recorded it. But she tweeted out saying that um, Bruce Pritchard, she singled, his, she singled his ass out saying that he needs to go as well. She said basically said, if you think just because Vince McMahon's out of the company, you're wrong. You still have all his people that are still in there as well, who's always going to report to him. I.E. Pritchard. Yeah, well, Bruce Pritchard has always been a Vince McMahon guy. Like, he's just... My biggest problem with Bruce Pritchard has always been his just constant defense of Vince McMahon and his dumbass decisions. Constantly being an apologist for WWE and Vince McMahon all the time. Always anything WWE related, he, he was just it just annoyed me. But anyways, um, as far as getting rid of everybody that was a part of WWE or not WWE, but a part of the Vince McMahon camp or had any affiliation, I mean, what about people who weren't aware of the situation but just were affiliated with him? Did they count? Uh, most likely. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, everyone that was affiliated with him, associated with him, they just want to distance himself. Because as of right now, this this thing is getting worse. I know Tori Wilson, I think, did an interview uh, today talking about how, you know, Vince made them do a lot of things that they were uncomfortable with. Like, for example, dancing in their bikinis on television. She mentioned that one of the girls was almost, was, like, holding back tears as she was basically doing these things. Uh, for Vince's entertainment on screen that is I don't know behind closed doors I don't know I didn't listen to the interview I, I gotta try to get the clip notes off anyone anyone or I or even just listen to the whole thing but most importantly John Laurinaitis talk about Vince boy he was like his right hand man uh he served what was his job title the executive vice president of talent relations yes he took over that job title after JR in the mid in the early to mid 2000s Basically, guys, he's responsible for finding talent. And when it came to finding female talent, he didn't look at the indie sticker. He looked on and uh, bikini magazines like Playboy. 
That's why we got girls like Kelly Kelly, Candace Michelle, a lot of those like models. I mean, they were all very pretty women. Models, and then they just teach them how to do headlocks and then, you know, go from there and just hope for the best. John Laurinaitis, not just with, yeah, John Laurinaitis had this weird uh, tendency with talent, specifically with women. And the problem is he would pick these women from magazines, but they weren't women who had any aspirations of joining WWE or becoming a pro wrestler. It was just, we want some pretty women because this was around the time the Divas took over. Well, John Laurinaitis, he has a reputation amongst a lot of people. He's not the most well-liked person. A lot of people have a unanimous decision about him. <laughs> just as Jim Cornette. Uh, but yeah, just, he's a part of this lawsuit because two years ago when the NDAs were being released, not released, but when we found out that company money was being used to pay off these NDAs, John Laurinaitis was the scapegoat and he was fired. It, it's weird because sometime around 2014, 2015 maybe, Vince replaced John Laurinaitis' uh, talent relations with Triple H. And if you notice, when Triple H was taken over, and, and it's weird because Triple H has always been a body guy himself, but when Triple H started seeking talent, that man was looking at talent that back in like the mid-2000s, WWE wouldn't have even sneezed at, let alone even taken a look at to see if they would be uh, formidable enough to sign with WWE. You got guys like Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn. Uh, I was gonna say Seth Rollins, but Seth Rollins is so much like Shawn Michaels that I, I can see them giving him a chance to someone, and he's done very good for himself there. But yeah, Triple H has been seeking out talent, and he's been seeking out talent that the talent of us hardcore fans would love to see there so for years triple h created nxt and nxt was such a great thing for wwe they're developmental what killed triple h's nxt or at least the the black and gold version was putting the show on tv because it was originally a one hour show on the network they put him on USA to compete with AEW because they wanted to hurt AEW. Well, every week when NXT and uh, AEW went head-to-head, -head, AEW, pretty much nine times out of ten, always won the ratings. And so around 2021, when you had COVID and all that shit, Vince, being the asshole that he was, decided to kick Triple H to the curb, revamp NXT to this Nickelodeon colors, put John Laurinaitis back into that spot and Bruce Pritchard back into creative and it was about to go right back to where they were 15 years prior where they had bikini models and, and only athletes from other sports that had no aspirations to become a pro wrestler so for a good year that's what we were getting on NXT except here's the thing the allegations came out and then they got fired and then Triple H took over well, now we know that John Laurinaitis is also involved in this. Yes, I'm purposefully calling him John Laurinaitis because it sounds like he's got Laurinaitis every time he talks. Because somewhere in the 90s, he got hit in the throat. So now he sounds like he's got some kind of throat like Laurinaitis. So, 
what to say? I mean, what, what is there to say? It's He's a victim, Steve. He's a victim. Now, can you explain to me how he's making this argument he's a victim? He was forced to be involved in these activities with McMahon, you see. Oh, silly me. Man, I never would have thought of that. You know what, Laryngitis? You're off scot-free. You had no choice in the matter. You had no choice. So it was you that had lost your parents, allegedly. Keep in mind, this is allegedly. But you allegedly lost your parents and were basically in a sex trafficking scheme and were forced under coercion to fuck these girls. Dude. You want to know how sleazy WWE is? That, that, or at least Vince McMahon's WWE. I didn't think about this. This is 2005. Do you remember when Carlito used to have a thing called Carlito's Cabana? Yes, his version of Piper's Pit. Right. Well, one episode he had Hulk Hogan on. This was right around the time that Hogan started doing his reality show, Hogan Knows Best. And Carlito, they made Carlito go out there and say, you know, Brooke, she's kind of hot. Brooke was 17 years old at the time. Makes you wonder. Yeah, this is Vince McMahon humor. And keep in mind, when they hired Kelly Kelly, Kelly Kelly was still not legal to drink at that point. She was like 19 years old when they brought her in. And what was the first gimmick they gave her? She was a fucking stripper. Yep. Well, on TCW, it's extreme, pal. Yes, but you had women of age who were a little bit more experienced in that field who could probably be more comfortable. I mean, I guess Kelly Kelly was comfortable in her skin because that's how she was found, but... I don't know. The, the point being is that if you want to get women who want to strip, it should be under their uh, under their permission. The, the, the best thing I can think of is there's two talents currently. One is Mandy Rose, who's not there anymore. And there's Alexa Bliss. Now, Mandy Rose, she is a little bit uh, risque with what she promotes. She's a little bit sexy. She wears thongs. She wears bikinis and all that. Alexa Bliss, she's beautiful. She's bangable. But she's not risque, let's just say. She's got taste. She's not somebody that's just going to strip down to her uh, nitty-gritty. All right? Now, the problem is... is they weren't just asking women like Mandy Rose, who doesn't have a problem showing a little bit of skin and getting a little bit risque. They were asking women like Alexa Bliss to go ahead and do that same shit. That's where it got a little sleazy. Now, I don't know this woman that you're talking about that apparently was about to cry when she was out there in a bikini, but... Yeah, Tori, Tori, uh, Tori Wilson, she didn't say any names. I am a little bit perplexed at Tori Wilson, not saying that she's not telling the truth. I don't think she would lie. But for somebody who posed in Playboy twice, once with Sable, I mean, to be fair, it could have been something a little bit bizarre that they asked her to do. I will say this. This is a story from Trish Stratus. Trish Stratus has noted that she had no issues with a lot of the adult stuff that they told her to do, like the barking like a dog. She never had a problem with it. She said, as long as it makes sense, I'll do it. I don't care. But there was one angle in particular that she denied, and it was her making out with Tori Wilson. I think it was Tori Wilson. But she denied it. 
because she asked, well, why are we doing that? And they didn't come up with an, a logical explanation. And she said, well, no, then I'm not going to do it. I mean, if it's, if it's not going to lead to anything, if there's no rhyme or reason for me to do it, then I'm not going to do it. What do they do? They took the women's title off of her and had her lose into her home. I think she lost to WrestleMania 18, right? In her home country? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, they punished her for it. Yeah, that's what they do. They're, they're petty like that. WWE is petty like that. Well, Vince McMahon's hey. WWE. Yeah, Vince is WWE. Yeah, I mean, he does not like it when people say no to him. That's why I think he hired Bruce Pritchard back. Because Pritchard was let go for several years. And probably all these new people that worked for him were saying, no, no, no. He was like, what? And Vince was like, what the fuck is this? Who are these young punks? Where's Pritchard? Where's Bruce? Bruce is... Here's the thing, though. It's always been said that Vince likes talent who challenges him. Why? Steve Austin apparently got his major push... Because Steve Austin would tell Vince McMahon, fuck you, I ain't doing that. How many times had Shawn Michaels' mother fucked him to death? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I, I, th I think it's an age thing. It just seems I like the older Vince got, the worse he became. I think so, too, because I listened to Jim Cornette and Brian Last. They, they had a video. They have a video up about his escapades, and it's an hour long, and it's very, very good. Because Jim Cornette actually worked with the guy. I agree that it's an age thing because he's nearing 80. He he obviously suffered concussions. He's got steroids that he's obviously injected into himself. And when you watched old school WWF in the 80s and 90s, there was always long-term storytelling. And and one of the things that Vince was always particular on was before the last few years was he never liked teasing a match that he knew he couldn't deliver on. So if there was a dream match that he knew was never going to happen, he never wanted to tease it because you're just cock-teasing the audience. And he never, he always had to promote what was advertised. Over the last few years, he would advertise a match and then just wouldn't do it. Or um, there was one point where he was teasing a match. I think it was, oh, fuck. I think it was Braun Strowman and Finn Balor, or Braun Strowman and Brock Lesnar, and he just, like, pulled it for no valid fucking reason. He just... And, and on top of it, back in the day, if the audience leaned differently in his direction, yeah, sometimes he would try to manipulate the crowd to go to his way, but sometimes he would, he would succumb to them. For example, he wanted Lex Luger to be his next Hulk Hogan. People liked Lex. The problem was the fans loved Bret Hart more. Vince listened and said, okay, we'll go with Bret Hart. You love Bret Hart, here you go. Because Bret was different. He was a different wrestler and they wanted something different. Luger was too much like Hogan. Yeah, the new generation. Steve Austin. He was supposed to be the top villain of his company. He was going to make him the number one villain. Problem is, is that every time Steve Austin did something, he got cheered more and more and more. So Vince finally caved in. He's like, all right, we'll, we'll make him a top baby face when the screw job happened vince wanted to baby face himself from that people said no you fucking screwed a very honorable wrestler out of his fucking title in his own so, country in his home country with his own finisher to the guy he doesn't like so let's go with it let's be a heel and there we go we got the attitude hero now any of what i just said would have never happened under vince McMahon in the last couple years and I think you're right. I think it's it's a multitude of things. I think it's age. I think it's the fact that his company is now idiot-proof. He can do stupid shit and 
it wouldn't matter. He's still going to make a ton of money. Didn't matter what the fans thought. He's getting all of his money from TV rights. He's a control freak. The concussions are finally catching up with him. I think there's maybe a tad bit dementia there. Mm -hmm. I can't really say because as far as his speech, he he still sounded eligible. All right, he's still a better speaker than uh, Dr. Sleep in the White House. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Dr. Seuss over there, but... But I mean, yeah, like the guy is old. No one at his age should be the CEO of any company. The only other old guy that I know is still in charge of everything is probably Jerry Jones of the Cowboys. Well, I, and I think he's older. Here's the thing. I don't think it's age that's the issue. It, let's say you are 80, but you're still sharp and you're still making great decisions. Mm-hmm. You should, I don't think somebody should take the company away from you because there's an age thing. If there's a clear as day decline in your health or mental health, yeah, then then something's got to be like, yo, something's got to give. In the case of Vince McMahon, it was never going to happen because he had major <clears throat> ownership in stock. He was a control freak. Pretty much everybody assumed before 2022 that Vince, the day that Vince gives up the company, is a day that he fucking dies in the chair. And I think he even said it. Because he, he's a control freak. He has to be in control of everything. And I think this is the first time in history he has no control. And I think, uh, what was it, Dave Meltzer brought this up? We are fucking lucky that this story didn't happen in the 90s or 2000s. Because WWF would be dead. Because this... This is a big fucking... Nobody realizes how big of a story this is. This may be the biggest black eye to the WWE since Chris Benoit. Yeah, not just the WWE, but the TKO. I mean, and now the Lauren Knight is coming out basically trying to throw Vince under the bus. I was a victim, pal! You can't people power your way out of this one, pal. <laughs> what? What is he, Bulldog? It wasn't me, it wasn't all. It was all <laughs> I, I wasn't even there. I could the do you know why it hurts TKO too? Because they probably knew prior to this because the NDA yes. situation happened before TKO acquired them and they basically made it mandatory that Vince had to be on board. Yeah, it's being reported that they apparently knew about this. I mean, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me. It's like when freaking Jared the Subway guy finally got caught for being a freaking pervert and it was being rumored that the Subway company knew about it. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. They're like, oh shit. Well, we can't go public with this. We gotta hide it. Mm-hmm. Because this guy's this guy's our freaking mascot, and everybody knows him. We can't just do a complete 180 and just act like he didn't exist. I mean, I, yeah. I truly think Subway tried to cover up for him as much as they could. And I think TK tried to do the same thing with Vince, and they felt the best way to what we need to do right now: buy the company and distance, send Vince home. Yeah. We'll pay him because it's going to be a bitch trying to get him out of this contract. So the best thing to do, send him home, and we'll just we'll just send him checks through the mail. Well, yeah, it was going to be a bitch because on his contract, it basically stated he couldn't be fired. The only way he can leave his position is if it's on his own volition, which he did. Because I think Vince, as much of a control freak as he is, WWE is still his baby. And he doesn't want to see his baby die that he... I I can't blame him for going the route when it came to Chris Benoit to completely erase him. I think 
You yeah, should. It took me. It took me a long time to finally understand that too. But even then, I don't think erasing was the right term. You don't have to promote him. That's fine. I'm cool with that. But erasing him obviously is impossible because he was part of your history. But yeah, this. Now the question becomes: Do they erase Vince McMahon the same way they did with Benoit? I mean, again, it's going to be very hard to do that. The best thing they would have to do is just not, as you just said, not promote him. It's going to be very hard to do that when you try to promote Steve Austin, because who was that was his number one rival was Mr. McMahon. Right. I mean, that that right that was the vein that was the heart of the Attitude Era. Part of the Attitude Era. That was the heart of uh, the Monday Night Wars. Monday Night Wars. Bret Hart leaving to go to WCW. Uh, literally, the whole start of the WWF Golden Era is because of Vince McMahon's ruthless uh, devouring of the territories. You yeah. can't. It's very hard. That's that's like if if some big scandal happened, God forbid, with Michael Jordan. You can't erase Michael. Michael Jordan is considered the greatest basketball player of all time. Like, look at how many times that Michael Jackson has been ousted as a quote-unquote pedophile that never really amounted to much. It's all rumor and innuendo. And yeah, that and guy... A whole freaking documentary series on it. Yeah, what was it? Neverland or something? Too. Yeah. So, with Vince, it's very hard, but there's been multiple people that will tell you... It's, it's weird, because there's a lot of people that love Vince McMahon and a lot of people that hate him. Like, I would hate to think that Undertaker knew any of this shit. Oh, God, I, I would hate to think that, too. Yeah. I, that didn't even cross my mind, honestly. Like Undertaker, Steve Austin. I, to be fair, <clears throat> I think you're right. This is this behavior. He was probably always a sexual deviant, but this real shit, like in the text, probably got worse with age. And I had to assume the worst of it came when he became a billionaire and realized that he's so powerful. And by that point, Steve Austin had retired. Undertaker's a part timer. He's I don't the, the the thing about Undertaker that, that I think would save him is that he's a loner. He doesn't go out much. He's not a party goer. I mean, he does drink. He he drinks Jack Daniels, but he's not known to be like Shawn Michaels where he's fucking getting pissed drunk. Yeah, he's always had control of his alcohol. Right. So he probably didn't hang around Vince like that. And so yeah, I don't know, man. This this whole it, and it's hard for me because on one hand. <clears throat> The last few years, I've not had a positive uh, opinion on Vince McMahon on how he handled things. I did not like the product and how he was making it and how he was deliberately taunting the fans by not giving them what they want by saying, you're just going to pay tickets anyway, so fuck you. I didn't like that. But on the other hand, it's hard for me because... Some people keep saying it doesn't matter. Like, well, yeah, it does. Imagine you have something that was literally embodied your whole life. Let me explain. This is all he knows. This is what he does. Well, no. What I mean to say is I was five, six years old when I started watching wrestling. I will be 35 in a couple months. So literally a majority of my life was dedicated to a product that Vince McMahon provided for me. From the time I was a child to today. So it's like. I'm so emotionally attached to this company. And it's history. 
that I don't want to think that the guy who provided all that for me, all this entertainment, all the WrestleManias that I've gone to, the Raws, I've never been to a SmackDown, the house shows, some of the pay-per-views, such as Survivor Series that I went to, a SummerSlam. I'm not sure if I wanted to... Oh, yeah, the, the No Way Out pay-per-view 2012 on Father's Day that I took my dad to. Like, all these different shows that WWE provided me because of Vince McMahon. Like, I don't want to hate him. But if this story is true, even if, if a part of it is true... Man, it's like... And then to think that some of your guys whether the past or present could be attached to this guy yeah i mean it's 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 tough trying to separate is it's one of those situations you want to separate the art from the artists i mean one of my one of my favorite or one of our favorite films that we ever done on this podcast and ever is the crow who made the crow harvey weinstein yeah who was this quentin tarantino weinstein kevin smith yeah. weinstein i was gonna say pulp fiction reservoir dogs all weinstein Fuck. Um, and and who's the guy that was responsible for all those Disney films that we were talking about that got kicked out because of allegations? Oh, uh, Lasseter. Yeah, Lasseter. None of those allegations were ever proven. I mean, right. look, at, look at the state of Pixar now. They got a Buzz Lightyear movie that's not really Buzz Lightyear because they didn't even want to cast fucking Tim Allen. Right, yeah. If Lasseter was there, he would have fought for Tim Allen. It's crazy. It's you don't want to think of the people that shaped your life like that. It goes back to, like I said, Chris Benoit. He was one of my favorite pro wrestlers growing up. I loved Chris Benoit. And then couldn't find out he murdered his wife and kid and then himself. But with Vince McMahon, yeah, you knew the dude was just completely whacked out insane. You probably knew there was a little bit of an unhinged personality there based on the angles that he wrote for TV. But, look, one of my favorite musicians of all time is Les Claypool. He's kind of off the wall with his music. But, knock on wood, he's never been ousted as a predator or any of that stuff. He's just a very unique personality. But now, with Vince McMahon, we're not only finding out that he's a unique personality, he's a sexual deviant that did a lot of harm to a bunch of women. Now, to be fair... He still needs his day in court. He yes. still needs he still needs to provide his side of the story, and then it's for us to determine if we think he's full of shit or not. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering how he talks his way out of this one, and because we're already seeing how Mr. Lauren Giantis over there is trying to talk his way out of this one. It wasn't me. It was Owen. I was never even there. And now it makes you wonder. They better pray that no other females uh, come out and speak out against them. Yeah, they better pray that nobody else comes out because what they said was they believe that this woman's NDA, because I think it was put into law, the Joe Biden put into law, that an NDA is pretty much worthless if you're trying to suppress something that was criminal. So say a sexual assault happened on the job and then they want to get rid of you and sign an NDA so it doesn't get out. Well, doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything if, if there was a crime involved. So she can say whatever the fuck she wants publicly. It doesn't matter how much money they pay her. She has the right to go ahead and say it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the fucking sleepy man had one thing right. But, um, yeah, so if that's the case, if all these other women that signed NDAs after Joe Biden passed that law, 
And and to think that Vince McMahon apparently paid an NDA to a woman back in the 90s, $7 million. More than what Bret Hart ever earned in that company. That's crazy. So it makes you wonder, because this woman was supposed to get three. So the woman that's getting paid seven in the late 90s, what did he do to her? Makes you wonder. I think... Seven million to keep your mouth shut? Well... The thing is, is that most people do not believe for a second that Janelle Grant is going to be bringing this to court. They think that what's going to happen is TKO is going to make a hefty offer to her and she's going to accept it because it's going to be such a big offer that she, uh, it's going to be hard for her to refuse. The only uh, way to, the only way it would get passed is if Janelle Grant has principles and says it's not about the money. It's about holding you accountable. Yeah. Especially in her case, where she was about to lose her home, I I, I don't know what's going to happen here because it's still a developing news story, and it is quite possibly the most damning since. Because I remember people used to tell me all the time they thought that the Benoit was the most harmful to WWE, and I always vastly disagreed with that. It it, it sucked. It was a tragedy, no doubt about it. But as far as hurting WWE's bottom line. Or making it a black eye, it, 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 there was a lot of noise. I don't think it black eyed the WWE. The steroid scandal in the '90s definitely black eyed the WWE because that company was about to die by '96, '97. It's no comparison. WWE was it, this was just more like a fucking sprained ankle when the Benoit thing happened. But now this, I, I'm sure WWE won't die. They're under TKO. They're worth about billions of dollars. But I'm just, I don't know. I have no idea. This this is probably one of the craziest stories. Like I said, this will probably top the Benoit and steroid scandal if more shit comes out. Yeah, I was going to say, depending on what happens now. I mean, again, we're like, we're just, a, we're over a week since this whole thing came out. And it's already gone crazy. I mean, this is, this is WrestleMania season. This is the last thing that they want. Triple H struggled to answer these questions when he was doing his media scrum after the Rumble show. Well, uh, it, it wasn't the struggle. He said, oh, I only like to focus on the positives, and this has been a positive week. What? I, uh, <laughs> define positive week, Mr. Levesque. HIV positive? <laughs> I'm positive that things are really fucked up here. Yo, you don't say that after your father-in-law is ousted as a fucking predator with those text messages being made public he can i mean he could have easily said listen legally i'm not allowed to talk about it right now he could pull the tony khan i can't talk about this but he could have said there's an investigation underway this that and the other <sighs> it's it's a lot it's a lot to take in like i said i guess i'm not sure how to transition from that to a uh, sneak dog but I'm gonna let's let's talk about bones. Oh uh, yeah. Well, Snoop Doggy Dog had some WWE appearances, so that that's a good transition. Yeah, he's had a lot of appearances. Wait, wait, oh. Is it safe to say Snoop Dogg is probably the most famous rapper of all time? The longevity. Longevity and fame. I'm not. I'm not talking about his music. I mean, I'm not gonna compare music because we'll be here all night. But like, everyone, everyone knows who he is. Um, maybe Will Smith. Smith, some people, I don't know if they consider him to be a rapper. They may consider him more to be an actor. That's where he got to start, I believe, was rapping. Okay. I'm not, I, sure, 
I'm not sure what he started first as a rapper or as an actor. I can't remember. I, I always thought he was an actor that did rap music, m- mostly to help promote his movies. So, okay, if you're going to go with artists, Snoop Dogg's up there. Eminem would follow suit. Um, I wouldn't call Drake a rapper, but yeah, it's, Snoop Dogg is very iconic. It's, it's very hard. If, if I told you to name five rappers right now, if I asked any random Joe Schmo, name five rappers, more than likely Snoop Dogg is going to be one of those five that they mention. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about Tupac and Biggie because they're considered the most legendary, but Snoop Dogg would definitely be mentioned in people's list. But I bring up Snoop Dogg because today's film we're going to be review- reviewing is his first starring role, I believe, and that is the 2001 horror film bones now this was the early 2000s this was this was a time period where a lot of rappers even the late 90s too where a lot of rappers were doing horror movies i mean we saw l cool j and halloween um resurrection no uh halloween h2o h2o whatever i say oh no, no that was buster rhymes he was resurrection yeah trick-or-treat motherfucker so we were getting a lot of that and uh well snoop dogg he has his own horror movie bones directed by ernest r dickerson we uh review one of his films on here the tales of the crypt demon knight yeah a film so, that uh, i've always liked let me ask you a question yeah after watching this film would you consider this a black exploitation film in a sense yes because I can tell, watching this, Ernest obviously grew up in that era. I would even say there was a mix of... I was reading some of the reviews, and one critic said, I got, like, Suspiria vibes. I'm like, Suspiria? Suspiria is like an Italian horror movie. I know you've never seen it, but... Once I started seeing the cinematography, at least some of the scenes, I was like, oh, I understand that saying now, because I forgot Ernest Dickerson, before directing, he was a cinematographer. We reviewed Death by Temptation. The, the non-motherfucker Samuel Jackson movie on here. He did the cinematography for that movie, which makes sense of all the colors. Like, if you remember the scene when the girl was, like, laying down and she's being she thought she was being filled up by her boyfriend in bed. Right. But instead, it was by... It was later revealed to be her father, Snoop Dogg? <laughs> the father's doing that to his daughter? <laughs> and, and the funny thing is, is that a lot of these colors reminded me of another movie we reviewed on here, Vampire in Brooklyn kind of yes. gave me the gothic dark vibe uh, but vampire in brooklyn was clearly a comedy there were comedy elements in this there were movie. comedy elements here too yeah but i, this, I don't know if that was intentional or it just came off that way yeah so budget was 16 million dollars and it only brought back 8.4 yeah and and consider this this movie had snoop dogg as your leading actor you also had Pam Greer, probably the queen of black exploitation films. You had Clifton Powell, Pinky from Next Friday. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say Pinky's in this. You got Pinky. Like, come on. And you got Ricky Harris in this movie from Everybody Hates Chris. Yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah. I, I found out he had died. So, um, uh, Bianca Boston. Catherine Isabel, who plays uh, their stepsister. Uh, she's a Canadian actress. I was like, what? Because uh, when I, when, I guess we'll get into that once we get to the, dive into the plot. But yeah. Wasn't guess, um, Catherine Isabel in Freddy vs. Jason? Yes. 
See, I, I have some knowledge. There you go. You starting to know your Canadian actresses. It's all because of Bret Hart. He, he brought the Canadian out of me. But it, that, friend, pal. Yeah. Well, the storyline for this, the time is 1979. The Carter years. Jimmy Bones oh. is respected and loved as a neighborhood protector. When he's betrayed and brutally murdered by a corrupt cop, Bones' elegant brownstone becomes his tomb. 22 years later, the neighborhood has become a ghetto and his home has turned into a gothic ruin. Four teens renovated as an after-hours nightclub, unknowingly releasing Jimmy's tortured spirit. It's thrills and chills when blood spills when Jimmy's ghost sets out its frightful revenge. His killer is unaware of the gruesome fate that awaits them. With each new victim, the terror the terror mounts and Bones' vengeance spines out of control. spins out of control. Jeez. Threatening everyone in his path, including his former lover, Pearl. Get ready for Bones! Yeah. So, to get the backstory out of the way. Yeah. Because it's yeah. spread out throughout the movie. It shows you, like, little glimpses of the past. And then eventually reveals what exactly happened into this gothic building that's there. So, Jimmy Bones, as you said, he's supposed to be, like, a protector of the town. He, he loves being the status quo, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, he's but, um, in a way like um like a Frank Lucas of sorts. Because I don't know if you know who Frank Lucas is. Explain. Uh, Frank Lu Lucas was a drug lord, a crime lord, a crime lord who later got into drugs. But like, but Frank took care of his people. Similar to Snoop Dogg. So I don't know if they got the inspiration off of Frank Lucas just without the drugs. I'm not sure what Jimmy Bones, what he did to kind of keep his status quo. I don't know if he was into drugs, but I, I would assume he was doing something illegal, just not drugs related. He looks more like the a pimp. The way he dressed, he kind of looked like a pimp. You just, I just said that, yes. Yeah. Um, He looks like a freaking pimp that pimps at his girls, but yeah, he takes care of his city. So, Jaybird, who's Clifton Powell, is promoting this idea of a big drug that they want to start selling and obviously jimmy bones is not interested in the slightest because he wants to keep his town safe so i don't think he was involved in drugs because most gangs that are not into it they already see that drugs will destroy towns this that, and the other because remember in the godfather marlon brando's character uh the Vito corleone he did not want to get involved in drugs he was into gambling that was his uh, way of getting into the business but I would think that he was more of a pimp so anyways oh no they said he ran numbers that's what he did or ran numbers whatever the fuck it's de definitely wasn't drugs yeah, so he anyway, knew drugs would be bad for his community and he didn't want he, that the only thing that he agreed to was to do Me. the meeting yeah. he, he was gonna hear him out and then he was just gonna automatically say no so <laughs> Right before he goes to the meeting, Pam Greer's character, Pearl, who's supposed to be his better half, which is quite funny because Pam Greer, by this point, was 52 and Snoop Dogg was 30. So this this is a cougar it, it, it blaze of glory. And apparently I read a quote that Snoop Dogg said when he first met Pam Greer, he fainted. I guess he's a big Pam Greer fan. But anyways... Yeah, um, uh, Ernest Dickerson, there's a documentary on Shudder called Horror Noir, The History of Black Horror. And he talked to, and this and this movie came up as one of its topics. And he mentioned how um, when it was time for Snoop to kiss Pam Greer, he was blushing. And, yeah. and the director's like, Snoop, are you blushing? He's like, 
it's Pam Greer, man. I had a crush on her when I was a child, and now I get to kiss her? Yeah. Imagine and, that. Yeah, he's like, wow, this gangster rapper who grew up in the hood is blushing. Yeah. So Pearl, how would you describe her? She's kind of like one of those psychic mediums. She can read minds. She does the tarot cards, reads palms. Yeah, she does the seance things, yeah. Right. So she's reading his palm and notices that there's a line in what signals his life. So she knew that something bad was going to happen. So she basically told Jimmy Bones, don't go to that meeting. Don't go to that meeting. And he's like, don't worry, I'll be okay. So when Jimmy Bones goes in there, he is there with Eddie Mack, who's Ricky Harris, Jaybird. Then there's Detective Loopy Lou. And he's a corrupt cop. Yeah, and then there was the security guard. I forget his name. He's the guy that's always across the street uh, shouting at people. But they're all there, and they're doing this deal. Morris. Okay, so Eddie Mac is trying to promote this drug. And Jimmy Bones is just flat out just telling him dismissively, no, it's all good, whatever. Eddie Mac's taking it personally. Now, Jaybird is not necessarily bad because he, he's friends with Jimmy Bones. They, they've been friends since children. But he's obviously, like, a little bit nervous because, like, he keeps denying the deal, this, that, and the other. Well, eventually, uh, Loopy Lou and Eddie Mac point their guns at Jimmy Bones. And somewhere along the way, Pearl comes in. And one of them, I think it was Loopy Lou. No, what happened was... Jimmy Bones throughout the movie has this weird switchblade that he keeps playing with. And I guess while he's got the guns pointed at him, he takes the switchblade and cuts Loopy Lou, and that's when he gets uh, Jimmy Bones, that is, gets shot in the belly. And it's at this point they're figuring out what to do. Loopy Lou, for whatever reason, said, we're all in this together. You're all gonna stab him. So he grabs uh, Eddie Mack, does a stab to him, then uh what's his face jaybird says yeah. him. Mm-hmm. and jimmy bones is like no please help me brother and he's like dude i'm sorry i have to do this stabs him then the security guard stabs him and then pam greer pearl is forced to stab him she doesn't want to do it she's basically refusing but then by this point after being stabbed several times jimmy bones Stab, like grabs her hand with the knife and stabs himself one more time and that's when he dies and they put part of her dress on top of him this is 1979 in this building that's I guess his house or his place of business yeah I, know. yeah I guess it's like a club or something yeah this building yeah and so that was back in 1979 and here we are 22 years later where four kids uh, Maurice, I think, is one. Who are the other three? Um, no, Maurice was the one that gets killed uh, first. Pa- pa- Patrick is the main one. Patrick, Bill. Patrick, Bill, Maurice, and Tia. With Tia's Tia. Catherine. Patrick, the main one, the actor, is Khalil Kane. He did uh, Ernest Dickerson's first directed film, uh, Juice, with uh, Tupac. Okay. So, what it is is that... Um, well, actually, before we get to that... The very first scene of the film is actually two of Eddie Mac's people ripping off two white dudes. Yeah, two fraternity boys, yeah. 
Yeah, with a drug. So, not as, I, I guess ripping off is not the right term because they do get the drugs. Well, they get the drugs. They mentioned that they left it behind the building because they didn't want to do it in front of them and hope, hoping that they weren't cops. They weren't like undercover cops. Well, the cops do show up and then they run into that same building that we just described that Jimmy Bones gets murdered in. Yes. And the cops look through and that's where loopy lou comes as a much older man saying no they're not in there let's go because he already knows that this building is <laughs> i don't want to be in this building so anyways the two white boys they're just like looking around obviously some weird shit's going on uh they start seeing some weird things they escape but as they escape through the front door and are on the the stoop the security guard who now lives across the street is telling him get your ass out of there and then eventually the spirit of jimmy bones grabs both of them and just completely devours them now why the hell would they stand right on the stoop i have That's no idea in front of the door i guess they figured that what they saw was their imagination i don't uh, like they were running and then and then they broke they went through the door and they just stopped i know one of them tripped but i would have got i would have immediately gone back up and ran to the car knowing that there's something in this house chasing us i wouldn't stand here well, again, I'm not saying it makes sense, but maybe it's because they thought what they saw was their imagination and they were just, like, coming to that realization. Yeah. Until oh, they yeah, and, the guy, and the guy's name was Shotgun, his bodyguard, not Maurice, like I mentioned. My bad. Yeah, Shotgun. Okay, cool. Thank you. So, anyways, um, that happens. And then you see uh, Patrick seeing this building and wanting to make it into a club. Yeah, he wants to renovate into a, a nightclub. Him and right. his, him, it's him, his brother, his friend, and Tia is their stepsister. Right. So while going through the building, they find the skeleton of Jimmy Bones with uh, Pearl's dress and the ring on his finger. And they also find a dog, a very vicious dog that uh, Patrick's stepsister decides to take Tia as a pet. So, they go through the house. Obviously, they're not really comfortable with it, but he wants to live into this house to really make it into a club very quickly. So, how does Pam Greer first get... I think because she's... Okay, she runs like a psychic shop right across the street or some shit. Somewhere in that Yeah. Yeah, and then that's when we're introduced to her and Cynthia, her daughter, who develops a liking for Patrick, but... Every time she notices that she's going towards that house and says, no, I don't want you there because there's something horrible going on there. Now, obviously, there's one point where all four of the people that are about to run the business go to Patrick's house. And that's when we're introduced to Jaybird. But now by this point, Jaybird's no longer like the Afro wearing uh, hippie from the 70s who is into real uh, weird sketchy business he's now an actual self-made man yeah, who he's a middle-aged dad he's a middle-aged dad who made himself successful and got himself a real nice job and raised his family so that they didn't have to live in the ghetto but he sees the dog and is very repulsed by it and then as soon as tia said yeah i named it bones he got petrified obviously it's bringing back memories of jimmy bones Meanwhile, you got Eddie Mack doing some deal with uh, Loopy Lou. Something to do with um, 
dealing with uh, the, the the two white guys not having to be reported by the police or some shit and extorts more money from him. You tell that Eddie Max a real fucking prick, and so is Loopy Lou. There's one point where Loopy Lou ends up at uh, Jaybird's house to talk about the incident that was going on in the house with the two missing white dudes. Jaybird tells him to go fuck himself because he doesn't like him. So eventually, uh, they build up the house well enough to where it becomes a club, a dance club. But that's not to say that there isn't some consequences to it. Like, there's one point where I think it was Bill. He's asleep, and all of a sudden, these weird, ghoulish things come around him while he's listening to music that just randomly disappear. You kind of see Jimmy Bones' spirit going through the house, and the other. Yeah, it's almost like he starts, like, hallucinating, and he's getting all these visions. Eventually, the party happens. Maurice is doing the DJing. And decides, I forget why he leaves his post. He says, I got to leave for a second. It had something to do with some girl that, that wanted some alone time with him. So he yes. gets some alone Because he, he took the ring off the corpse of uh, Bones. That's right. He said, ah, you're not going to be needing this, and I don't think you need this either. So eventually, Maurice is brought into a room, and he gets devoured by the dog. Yes, the that dog seems- turns out to be like a spiritual manifestation of Jimmy. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. After he starts eating him and all of his blood starts going onto the skeleton, did this not remind you of Hellraiser? It did. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised it got the, the idea from that movie. Yes, it reminded me a lot of Hellraiser. Look at you. He's on a roll today. Yeah. All this knowledge that has nothing to do with wrestling or Tekken. Yeah. yeah and, and, I, and I really like the uh, special effects here because it was all practical. Yeah. So seeing, like, the corpse slowly getting resurrected, yeah, I thought all that was very well done. Pretty cool. Yeah, so all that happens, the the, the dog basically kills Maurice. There's one part where Patrick has to go looking for Maurice, and eventually that, I don't know if it's the dog or whatever. Yeah, the dog squirts, squirts maggots. Maggots all over him. I'm like, oh, my God, that's, that's gnarly. And all the maggots, they're going through the... the, the floor and then goes on to the other people and then everyone has to escape and it starts a big fire yeah pretty fucking gnarly shit but yes eventually everybody leaves and the dog feasts enough of the blood to where now snoop dog goes from looking like the godfather to the undertaker yes and the, i guess the spirit of the dog went into the corpse and then he's fully resurrected Fully resurrected, and now he's going to go crow, except he's a villain, to get revenge on all the people. This movie took from Hellraiser, the crow, <laughs> the Undertaker. Uh, it's like, god damn. It, it, I started seeing a lot of the connections there. So I think the first person that he kills is Shotgun. Yes, his bodyguard that lives across the street. He's mad at him because he's like, what was I supposed to do? He's like, you could have died for me, brother. And he uh, sliced his neck. Yeah, it's kind of weird because he's supposed to be a protector of the town, and now he's just like this evil guy that just wants to go after even the people that he loved. It's quite interesting. Eventually, uh, while he kills him, Pearl reveals to Cynthia that Jimmy Bones is his uh, is her father. Yes. So she was pregnant at the time when all this happened. Yeah. Interesting. 
And then, like you said, there was that scene where she's sleeping and she thinks that it's Patrick feeling her up because there's one point where they were making out and Patrick was about to go to second base and she cut him off and he didn't get spiteful. He just let her sleep. But yeah, she, she got felt up by her own father. But whatever. That was weird. They could have just done her sleep and they could have done the same thing with the other guys. Sleep in the bed and they start having hallucinations. Yeah. Like they had to do the feeling up, which is weird because that's, like, that's her dad. So, yeah, Jimmy Bones is walking in town, and those two same guys from the beginning of the film, Eddie Mac's crew, start talking shit to him, saying this is Eddie Mac's place, and he says something like, Eddie Mac don't know shit. He's a fucking dingus. And Jimmy Bones kills those two characters. So Eddie Mac is uh, getting it with this white girl, and the white girl's going to go take a piss, and he's so impatient, he wants to fuck her, and then he finds her dead body. And eventually... He sees Jimmy Bones, but the first thing he doesn't say is, wait a minute, we fucking killed dude. He He's just like, I killed you once before. I'll kill you. Like, what? You <laughs> no reaction to the fact that this guy is back that you killed 22 years ago. And so he shoots him. And even Snoop Dogg's character acknowledges this. Like, wow, the I, I come back 22 years, and the first thing you have to acknowledge is, what am I doing here? So uh, what's his face? Jimmy Bones kills him by cutting his head off. Now, while all that's going on, Patrick is mad at his dad because he thinks that his dad sabotaged that whole party. And, and he knows because here's the thing. Before all that went down, he took his dad to see this building because he his dad wanted to see him take initiative, take something, take a nothing and make it into something. But of course, his dad was so apprehensive and said, you got to get rid of this building now, sell it back because of what it represents. So now Patrick's on to the idea that he knows more about this building than least meets the eye, and he just flat out refuses to even acknowledge what the problem is. He's just like, whatever. So after Jimmy Bones cuts Eddie Mac's head off, Eddie Mac is still talking shit because he has Eddie Mac trying to call, what was it, uh, Loopy Lou or, or Jay Bur Yeah, he calls Loopy Lou to meet up with him. He's like, come on. I killed you, you killed me. Now we're even, right? And he's like, I'm just using your fucking soul at this point. He starts smacking his head around. Loopy Lou comes and he grabs him and grabs his mouth and forces him to smoke something. The, the same drug that he was forced to smoke. And his mouth is completely like gone or some like shit. From the Matrix. Yeah, yeah. It moved Neil's mouth so he can't scream. And then he hung him on the meat hook and then just cut his head off and now he's carrying walking around with two heads yes eventually he uh goes into jaber or yeah jeremiah's house grabs jeremiah everyone starts freaking out his family and patrick decides he's gonna go rescue his dad and tia's just gonna stay by herself and we never see tia again after this no, tia we just yeah we don't see the uh, mother yeah the white people are safe <laughs> Pretty much. Well, other than at, at, the same, at the same time this is happening, you met your you raised that Pam Greer told her daughter, Snoop Dogg, your dogs are dad, and then they went to the house to confront Patrick, but at the same time, Snoop Doggy Dog got the father and they went back to the uh Snoop and his crew. We went back to his uh his little club. I yes. guess to uh hand their souls over to Whatever. the men in black. The men in black, I guess, yes. He shoves the two heads in there, and then he shoves Jeremiah in there, but he keeps taking them out. And Jeremiah is just, like, freaking out, saying, I didn't know what else to do, this and the other. And 
before he finally throws him in there, he says, what do you want? I, I'll take anything. In fact, actually, before that, before he shoves Eddie Mac's head in there, I love how he says, listen, I got 20 grand buried there somewhere. You could take half of it. He grabs his head and he's like, all right, all right, you can have all of it. And I'm thinking to myself, what's a dead person going to do with $20,000? <laughs> I'm assuming that was intentionally there to for comedic humor. But yeah, the Jeremiah, while he's getting his head shoved in, says, I'll, I'll do anything that you want. What do you want? What do you want? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's easy. Bring it back to life. No, I can't do that. And that's when he just shoves him in there. So now they're going to go rescue him. And the thing that they realized is to stop Jimmy Bones from his his act is that they have to burn the dress because that's where his blood is. You got to get rid of the blood. So because the skeleton's obviously gone, the ring is back on his finger. So I, I guess they were in the attic because they yeah. were, the end scene, they had to jump down the elevator shaft. and That's right, yeah. And Pam Greer gets caught in the elevator, brought back upstairs. Meanwhile, Bill sees Maurice, but it's not Maurice. It's a spirit of his, and obviously Bill gets killed. Yeah, and then I'm reading that the men in black, that's supposed to be hell! Hell! What the hell is that smell? All right, I'm sorry, but the Vince McMahon... I the upside-down world, but yeah, hell works too. So anyways... Um, that's when Jimmy Bones brings up this hallucination and brings uh, Pearl to looking like her younger self back in 1979 with the afro and the green dress. Basically her Foxy Brown look. Foxy, well, yeah, I think that's Pam Greer's biggest uh, role, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the Cynthia and Patrick get into the room and jimmy bones is like come here baby girl he starts dancing with cynthia and this and the other trying to distract them but meanwhile he's about to kill patrick for some what does patrick got to do with this like patrick ruined the moment this is this is him spending time with his family patrick comes in and the snoop that's when he's like in his uh devil look i will say makeup wise snoop does look scary he does but here, here's the thing though until he says surprise nigga yeah a lot of n-words in this and the thing is, is that this could have been your son-in-law. So it wouldn't have been a ruined family moment. That's your son But anyways, I, I'm I'm just nitpicking here. So at some point... Uh, he did send his father to hell. Yeah, well, that was his father. That's not him. So anyways... <laughs> his dad. Don't worry, I got, I got a stepmom and a hot stepsister. A stepsister, yeah. Well, I mean, his dad tried to ruin his fucking business, apparently. Anyways, so... Uh, eventually, Pam Greer starts to see herself because now Snoop Dogg is about to kill Patrick. And both Cynthia and Pearl are like stuck in the hallucination. But every time Pearl keeps looking in the mirror, she sees herself now as opposed to her old self. So eventually she decides to sacrifice herself by saying, hey, Jimmy Bones, I love you. And then lights herself on fire, killing herself as a sacrifice. You saw how fast she lit up? You thought she was soaked in gasoline. Yeah, seriously. Like immediately, like, damn! Yeah. <laughs> what the hell's the dress made out of? So, there's a point where Patrick and, uh, what's her face? Cynthia are running, and they have to jump off a ledge. And she's like, I can't do it. So, uh, Patrick says, we're gonna do it. One, two, three. He lands. Now, you notice that she goes back, and then you see her again, and then she jumps down the cliff as well, and they both walk out foreshadowing the next scene which is they both escape the building is on i think it's on fire or it's just no it's desecrated but as soon as uh, patrick starts to get gather his wits 
Cynthia's in the background and maggots are coming out of her mouth and he turns around and she opens her mouth and alluding to the fact that yes, there was supposed to be a sequel, I guess. Yeah, she's I guess spits a maggot into his face and then fades to credits. So you would assume that now the spirit of of Jimmy is now in his daughters, no longer in that black dog. And he kept saying yeah. doggy dog boy throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Well, I gotta say, the first five minutes with those two college kids, and I'm like, oh god, this is gonna be bad. But I can't lie, I had a lot of fun with this. Obviously, if I'm able to describe the plot in its detail the way it is, it obviously captured my attention. Snoop Dogg needs to star in more cheesy-ass movies like this, because Snoop Dogg, he's, he's so charming. There's just something about Snoop Dogg that you just... I don't know. He's. I can be easily entertained by Snoop Dogg. He's just something about him. He's so chill. He's got that charisma. He was the perfect role for that character. There was nobody better. And then to have all the other people like Pam Green. Keep in mind, I think we should let people know before we did this review, when we decided to do this, you and I both agreed. We only saw this once, and it was like 20 years ago when we first saw it. Yep. That's and the thing that I took away from this film was 20 years ago, I thought it was gory. Like, I thought it really fucked me up. That's why I never saw it again. Speaking I watched it. Just... Blood was really bright red in this. Well, keep in mind, we are talking a 20-year gap. And if it was 20 years ago, I would have been a teenager just getting my uh, feet wet into horror films. But when I watched this, I'm like, God damn, this is pretty tame. I don't know why the fuck I was such a pussy back then. But, anyways, watching it today, 20 years later, obviously, a lot of the elements that I remember from 20 years ago is still there. The whole backstory about how Jimmy Bones got murdered, all the people that were involved tried to erase it and tried to put it, brush it under the rug, the building, and all that stuff. There were a couple of other things that I didn't remember, like Loopy Lou, I didn't remember him. I definitely remember Clifton Powell, because his death scene was funny. But, yeah. <laughs> Other than that, I, I was hoping that he was going to be like Pinky and, and like give a combination to a safe or something, right? As ow, as... ow! 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 Now you've done it! Now you've done it! Okay. <laughs> Say another word! Say another word! And it's over! I didn't play Can you imagine if he was Jimmy Bones? That would have been great, man. Yo, Clifton Powell, but yeah. I think Snoop Dogg did fine. The, the movie itself, if you're expecting quality, uh, grade-A writing that's that's a masterpiece, you're not going to see it here. No, this is not it, the movie for that. And and to the movie's credit, it wasn't not trying to be that. No. it was a, I consider it partially a black exploitation film. It's hard not to when you got Pam Greer holding the, uh, the Foxy uh, Brown look and all that stuff. It's yeah. It's really hard to not at least see some black exploitation elements here, and it's paying homage to some of the classics back in the day. So, I I enjoyed this. It was a fun film, like you said. It's very fun. It's not long. It's it's got a charm to it. I, I I'm pleasantly surprised that watching this 20 years later, I was not bored with this. I I thought yeah, I was coming into this not ready to dislike it. 
But uh, I was like, wow, you know, I actually had fun with that. It wasn't that bad. And it, it, it was, and it had some comedy, funny moments. As you could even say, it's a dark comedy in some aspects. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate that this film didn't do well when it came out, but it does have a cult following. It did eventually find its audience over the years since. Yeah, it's a very fun movie. And unfortunately, didn't get a sequel. Well, how could it if it bombed? So, yeah, I I had fun with this film. And I don't know how many black exploitation films we've done on this podcast. Not many. Not many? Uh, the, the one that always will stick to me is Black Double Doll from Hell. Nothing's going to top that. But th- this film was fun. And, and I think... Th- there is some, like you said, there's comedy there. There's obviously paying homage to some of the old horror movies like Hellraiser we mentioned. And we mentioned The Crow where he comes back and murders all the people that wronged him. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't see much more that you could ask for in a movie like this. Yeah. I mean, I didn't say not everyone's into movies like this, which is, you know, understandable. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure, you know, a lot of people didn't like it when it first came out. They were probably expecting something different. Um, I can see that only because. Let me. All right. Let, let's ask this with a basic question. Uh, how well did Kazam do? Oh, I think that was a huge flop. The, you're talking about the Shaquille O'Neal movie, right? Correct. Because here's the thing. Yeah. So the budget for Kazam was 20 million, and it brought back 18.9. I think it's because Shaq is known as a basketball player. Why would you want to see Shaq as a genie? Uh, d- d- doesn't add up. Meanwhile, the year after that, or the same year, or whatever the fuck it was, Michael Jordan was in Space Jam. And what is Space Jam about? Fucking basketball with Looney Tunes. And that movie is... I mean, it's not a quality movie, per se. It's more for our generation. But I, it, the box office was $250 million for that movie. That was the box office, and the budget was 80 well, you so, gotta realize going into that film, I mean, Michael Jordan was doing commercials with Bugs Bunny, and it was a huge hit. It was like the perfect combination. I mean, this is one of those cases where you take a commercial and try to turn it into a movie. The only other person that came from commercials and turned into a movie star out of it was Ernest. He's the original viral star. You that's can true. And the modern Ernest today would probably be Flo with, with the progressive commercials. Where I was going with that was that the mid-90s, they thought that there was something in basketball players being in movies. So that you got to remember, Shaquille wasn't the only one. Dennis Rodman as well. Right, but going back to what I was about to say, even without those commercials, I think the movie still would have been successful because it's Michael Jordan in his element, along with Looney Tunes, which was already making its, uh, I guess it's come back in the 90s because you saw all the reruns, all of us growing up were watching it. But now... To further prove my point, you got Snoop Dogg, a legendary rapper, but he's not playing a rapper. He's playing this pimp that was murdered. Now he's a horror movie villain. So there's that. But a year later, Eminem would star in a movie called Eight Mile. And what is that movie about? Him as a rapper. And we already know that Eight Mile did hugely successful. I'm about to pull up the budget and box office in a second but eight mile was a hugely successful film that to this day most people would uh resort to their hip-hop film so the budget to that movie was 41 million and it broke back 242.9 wow yeah 
So I think that if you were to get Snoop Dogg to start in his first major role, you would want to slide him in and make him uh, make it a rap movie. Now, to be fair, I don't know what Ice Cube's first movie was, but it's clear oh, as day. Well, so it, he's in his element. That's basically part of his uh, upbringing. Same thing with probably Ice T when he started doing uh, what is it, Law and Order? Yeah, before that, he did. Uh, I want to say his first film was New Jack City. Which is, again, a gangster movie. Right, so it's in their element. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, Boys in the Hood, and then you had Friday and all that shit. But yeah. So I think it needs to be in their element. And and to be fair, I don't know what Snoop Dogg's element is, but he, he's more for hip-hop, Compton, gangster rap, and all that stuff. It, it, trust me, there were a lot of N-words in this movie. It's, it's, oh, it's rated out for a reason. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it was... Going by the way I'm saying, it's unfortunate this flop because I think for what it was, it was fun. And I think they got the right people involved. You got Clifton Powell, you have Snoop Doggity Dog, you got Pam Greer. What more could you ask for? Yeah, and that was and that was 2001. This was like one of the last, I feel like the last rated R, I mean, I'm say last rated, but this was right before Hollywood made the shift towards doing uh, Japanese horror remakes. Because this was a year right before The Ring. And once the ring was a huge hit, that's that's what that was their focus, right? And then a lot of the like the horror rapper uh, movies were being thrown to the side because financially they really weren't working. Right. Yeah. So, Unrelated. Yeah. Have you seen Steel? No. That was the other Shaquille O'Neal movie that came out in '97. Steel is a DC superhero, and this came out the same year as Batman and Robin. Oh my god! That's probably why you didn't heard of it. And honestly, we could—I—I I mean, we can't review it because it's not horror. But <laughs> that is one film I will want you to watch just to get your take on it. I'm looking at it right now, and I'm already amazed this movie exists. And uh, yeah, Judd Nelson—we mentioned Breakfast Club. He's the uh, villain in that. Oh my god! Does he shout out in that movie? Stupid, worthless. No, I guess not. I know Richard Roundtree, Shaft. He's in the film. He does draft. Drap. He does drop a line, a shaft line in the movie because why not? Yeah. But yeah, it's one of the, it's that's a film I gotta revisit. Steel. Steel, yes. I I'm sure. <laughs> but uh obviously I'm gonna assume you thumbs up. Thumbs are up for uh bones. This, this was fun. I can't I can't diss this movie. This movie was very, very, very fun. I I can't imagine anybody watching this film and not having fun, especially if you're a fan of Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Um, our next film, I already got our next film lined up because you mentioned you love Snoop Dogg. We're going to stay on that Snoop Dogg train. We're going to talk about Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror. Oh, my God. He, he, he So he ventured off into another horror film. Yes. What if you take Tales in the Hood and the hostess Snoop Dogg? Nice. And that's all I'll say for now on that. And Nicole stars Diamond Dallas Page. Awesome. Oh, and I'm looking at the cast right now. You got Danny Trejo, Ernie Hudson, Method Man, Billy D. Williams. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> and it's uh, Bones is currently streaming on Tubi, as long as uh, Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror as well. And uh, I'm going to be wrapping this one up. So, uh, guys, thank you for listening. And we'll see you guys next time motherfucker.